0: Before we get to today's episode, I want to ask you guys for a big favor. If you could leave a rating or review wherever you listen to this podcast, Apple, Spotify, anywhere else, it goes a long way. It helps other people find the show, and it lets us know that we're doing something right. Okay, let's get to today's episode. You're listening to Making It with John David. What's up, guys? JD here. And we have a really great episode today. It's a little different. We're going to be talking about a business that didn't make it. And I know the podcast is called Making It and we share success stories. But I think this is a really good one to share because it shows you how things can go wrong. Even when you do everything right, there are certain things that are just out of your control. So let me give you some background here. We're going to be talking to my buddy, Jesper Wahlberg, who's a very accomplished entrepreneur and investor in his own right background in marketing and digital advertising. And he moved to San Francisco and started this company called Joe Bike, which was a bike subscription service, similar to Lime and Bird in the sense that it's mobile transportation, but it's not on demand, it's subscription. And Jesper's going to explain why that distinction is really important. The conversation went a little long, so we're going to pick up in the middle. Jesper's going to start the story and tell us about Joe Bike. And I think it's really important to take a listen. If you're an entrepreneur who wants to understand what can go right, what can go wrong, Jesper really unpacks it. And it's a really, really cool story. And I uh, hope you enjoy. Okay, take a listen. Here's Jesper Wahlberg.
1: Early COVID, i had been back in Copenhagen. And there's a Dutch company called Swapfeet, which was three university students from Delft in Holland. They started a bike subscription service, a reoccurring bike service. So and it was really smart. They included free service and theft replacement. If you bike got stolen, they replaced it. And they scaled that business. They have over 300,000 subscribers now. They sold it to Pond, which is by far the largest bike company in the world, that owns some of the biggest bike brands that we all know, like Cannondale or Santa Cruz or Cervelo. It's a massive Holland bike company. So they now are the majority owner of Pond or have swapped feet. So inspired by that. And one thing they did, which was really smart, the front tire on the wheel, they had made the blue color of their brand. So I was in Copenhagen. There was about 16, 17,000 subscribers at the time, but each making eight, nine bike trips a day. So those 15,000 bikes were making 150,000 unique bike trips a day. So it didn't matter where you look. There was these bikes with a blue front wheel in every bike rack and whizzing by on the streets of Copenhagen. So,
0: so they, they were, were driving billboards because as you see them, a, you knew exactly what it was. And
1: it was constant. I mean, you couldn't take three steps without like blue wheels just whizzing by. It's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. So I was like, wow, that's really cool. And I have a really big passion for cycling and has sort of also had some entrepreneurial endeavors into cycling and some not-for-profit initiatives with not Boots back in Toronto. But of course, North America does not have an Amsterdam or Copenhagen. But I came back to California and I sort of couldn't let go of the idea. And then I started looking into bike as a mode of transportation universities. And especially here in California, you know, a places like Stanford, UC Davis, UC Santa Barbara, 70, 80% of the students they actually bike. So a place like UC Davis, where we launched our service, there's 38,000 students and 33,000 bike every day. So with Nicole's help, she helped co-found the company. We put together 8-10 slides. Actually, the VC, we had been introduced through a mutual VC friend we had. So sort of went to him and said, Hey, we have this idea. And what do you think? And he cut us a check for $500,000 to go get product market fit on 8-slide PowerPoint.
0: Now, but hold on a second. Aren't there, and I don't know the business that well, but bike rentals and bike subscription services. There's Bird, there's a few others. So like, how did you... Yeah, but they're bike share,
1: right? So they're not reoccurring revenue. So if you want to use a city bike or a Lime scooter or a Bird scooter, or you, know, you open up your app to go find a scooter and then you release the scooter, you ride it and you drop it and they charge you. So, we were a bike subscription. So, the difference in our business was that you basically subscribe to a Joe bike for $29 a month. That included free service. If you had a flat or it broke down, we'd service the bike for you. And also, if it got stolen, we replace it for free. But you owned okay. the bike 24 7, which was very important distinction with the university because the universities, all the scooter services had at all bombarded universities across the US with scooter services. And the students loved them, but they traveled at very high velocity. They caused a lot of accidents. And as you know from Toronto, the scooters are littered everywhere. University, so it didn't take long. You says, uh-uh, not on our campus. So they all got geofenced off campus. So they were not a true door-to-door mobility solution. So you wake up Friday morning hungover from the night before. And now you got to walk six blocks to find a scooter. It only takes you six blocks to get to campus. And now you still got to walk six blocks to your classroom. So it's just not a solution anymore. When you had a Joe bike, it was in your bike rack at home, your rest, wherever you live. And it would take you right to the bike rack, whether you would go on into the gym, the library, the food hall, or your classroom. So it was a okay. true sort of door-to-door mobility solution.
0: Let me just back up for a second for the listeners. So the model was, it was a bike subscription service. Were you targeting any specific customer in particular? Was it for college students in particular? truly for university students. Okay. And then, so if I rented a bike, I got one bike. I couldn't exchange the bike for other bikes, right?
1: Essentially, you got a bike like you purchased it, you were just financing it through a reoccurring subscription model. And then, when you, you know, if you were there for nine months, you're going back home to, let's say you went to school at Stanford, you're going back to Toronto for the summer, four months. Why would you want to pay for the bike? And when are you going to store the bike, you just return it, let me take it back.
0: I got you. So, if you don't live in a city or if you're living there part time or if you're traveling a lot and you don't have a place maybe to put the bike. So, what is a bike? Just so I understand the economics a little bit. So, you were renting them out for 29 bucks a month. What would these bikes cost to just buy oh, out, right? These
1: bikes would retail for. So we had single speed bike that was twenty four dollars a month, and a three speed bike was twenty nine. So they retail the MSRP on the bikes would have been about four forty nine for the single speed and five forty nine for the Dyer. three speed. So, so the students were paying sort of one between one twenty $120 to one twenty fifth of the perceived value of the bike a month.
0: Got it. Right? And in addition, it's almost like an insurance policy because if I scratch my bike or blow a tire or something, I just get a new bike. So it's no problem.
1: We had a tagline that was called Right Now, We're Never, right? So they didn't have to worry about a thing, right? so
0: Yeah. Okay, cool. So how did you roll this thing out? So you get a check for $500,000. What did you do next?
1: So then I went on Alibaba. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I needed
1: bikes, I needed a pandemic and the whole supply chain issue was already in play. Things were late, but obviously for the model to work, you have to get the bikes out of China, Vietnam or something like that. So I went on Alibaba and being from Copenhagen, I sort of wanted a bike that was a bit distinctive and had a European Copenhagen sort of flair to it. So I had pulled a bunch of pictures and I started selling them to suppliers in Alibaba, like many bike manufacturers in Alibaba. And then a guy pinged me back and said, hey, we make a bike that looks almost just to you for State Bicycle Company in the US. So I was like, oh my God. So I went on to State Bicycle Company, bought a bike for $569, showed up the next day, and I was like, yeah, I can work with this. A guy in Toronto, Tom and Tony, created a beautiful brand for us, a Joe Bike brand, which I think was really strong. And... The name, I mean, our users love the name, Joe Bike. It was sort of just very approachable, sort of fun. And and we branded the bike. Having learned the lesson from Swap Feeds, we didn't want to sort of copycat and make our tire entirely the, our green color. We felt that was sort of too close to sort of their IP. But we did brand the bike in a way that it became a rolling billboard and it was instantly recognizable on
0: campus. So all the bikes in China. What was that first shipment? How many bikes? 700 bikes, so two containers. 700 bikes. So you have two containers of bikes that are coming in. Where did you put these bikes?
1: So this was the first mistake I made.
0: I had borrowed a warehouse
1: from a friend in Oakland, but my bikes were going on Davis two hours away. So we got them into Oakland about a month before the students were came. So And we start building bikes in Oakland before we even thought of moving them up to Davis, right? But then, They came in pieces they or they came up fully up, assembled? Like cardboard box, right? So they were about 80% assembled. So the, okay. it was about 10 minutes to finish, like unpack and finish assemble a bike. So we started assembling these bikes in Oakland. And now this warehouse, Like we get to 200 and we run out of time. And now we start moving the bikes. But guess what? You can move 350, 400 bikes in a 40-foot container. Once these bikes are assembled, you're moving <laughs> 60 bikes in a container. And I have to get them two hours up the highway into a small retail sport. So obviously, the whole transaction was online. So they go online, pick their bike, pick their size, when they want to pick it up. But then we had set up a retail space where they would come and get their bike, get fitted, and leave. And that's So you had to from.
0: actually set up a retail store also? A
1: small little pop-up store to facilitate getting those 700 bikes out over a 7-10 day period of time, right?
0: Okay. And then I'd imagine there was also some software here you had to develop to manage the inventory.
1: You just ran that on a stripe, and then there's a plugin that has a oh. subscription reoccurring. Okay. From.
0: So that okay. wasn't a big yeah. deal. But just to set context here, like this is a really fucking hard business. Like You're, oh, <laughs> you're doing God. a lot of stuff that's here. I'm an information, digital software guy, and you're an agency guy. But now you're dealing with shipping bikes in from China, assembling the bikes, storing the bikes, getting the bikes to the customer, managing the inventory. This is a lot of work. So how did it go? And what went... I mean, there's a couple of things I can imagine that went wrong. But what was the biggest hiccup for you where you said, Oh my God, I can't believe what I just got
1: into. I had worked for six months. So we want to be at UC Davis. So UC Davis is sort of considered the bicycle campus capital of America. Like they have, and Avel University looks to UC Davis for best practice and how to, you know, and they've been having a beautiful European bike culture there since like the 70s. And if you go into UC Davis like 9.30 in the morning for 10 o'clock class, you think you're in Amsterdam. I mean, there's just thousands of bikes everywhere. And the infrastructure is beautiful. We needed to launch there for a couple of reasons. First of all, it was, it was the best opportunity to be successful, but also if it didn't work there, it wasn't going to work anywhere. So it kind of made sense, right? So yeah, the first mistake was well, I should have shipped the box bike where I needed the bikes, which was at Davis, not two hours down the highway and start building the bikes. So that became a huge logistic and right at crunch, we were getting them really large. Like, you know, we're building bikes 24 hours a day and I it's just, it's a nightmare and moving them up. Then we had a retail space that couldn't hold several built bikes. So when we launched, the bikes were going out at a rate of like 800 bikes a day. But we actually had to shut yeah. down for several days to build up more inventory. We just couldn't keep up with demand.
0: Right. So, lesson one ship the product to where you need the product. Yeah, fair time. <laughs> okay.
1: And then the second lesson was universities are very close to ecosystems. To become a supplier, it's very, very difficult. So, I'd worked for seven, eight months where I'd find a sort of a bit of a really believer in what we wanted to do in the bookstore. So, he was my partner. And he was actually going to provide retail and storage. And we had sort of integrated all these solutions through him. And he was also our way to market to the student population. And we had built displays that was going to be in the bookstore. And we had staff in this place. And we had activations outside. And, and then about 10 days before launch, he goes, you know, we had to have a contract and be set up a supply. And he's like, yeah, we're not going to get there. I think we have to target like Jan 1, not September 1. I was like, no, no, that's not an option. That's just scramble and go find this off campus retail space to deliver the service from. That space was 700 square feet, would hold maybe 100 bikes, but not 300 bikes or 700 bikes. But we did through the school get an opportunity to be on campus for four days times four hours and activate. So every morning we would roll in, we'd pop up our tents, put up 30 bikes. And honestly, those bikes were gone in two hours.
0: It sounds like the demand was off the hook. Were people just eating this up? Well, so two things happen. Even at
1: state school like UC Davis is, it's one of the University of California schools like UCLA or UC Berkeley. So it's one of the 15 state schools. Tuition is still $15,000 a year. And then room and board is $15,000, 17000 Most of these kids came out of public school systems. So their parents had never paid tuition before. So they just dropped $30,000 for tuition, room and board. And then Johnny needs a new Mac and some new wardrobe and some snazzy Nike and Adidas sneakers. And mom and dad would just go, oh my God, four years of this, right? I'm like this, is we're going bankrupt here. And then little Johnny goes, oh, everyone bikes your Dad, the bike I want is $1,200. And dad's going nuts. And then he sees the Joe bike attendant. Hey, what's with the bikes over here? He goes, shut up. I can pay $29 a month for my kid's bike. That's less than I spend at Starbucks a week. Kid, you're getting a Joe bike. So their parents loved it. And next thing you know, it was on parents' Facebook groups. Discord channels, and it just blew up literally with the parents. Uh, This is what you got to get your kid. And the challenge with the children was these American kids, not so different in Canada, they learned to bike and they bike maybe they were seven, eight years old. But since then, they've been driven around in minivans initially and now they're in SUVs, you know, with their helicopter parents going to school and soccer practice. and So they don't know how to bike and they don't know a bike needs service, they don't need to get stolen. They have no bike experience, right? But their parents sort of understood that this was a Really good way for them not to have to put out on $1,000 for a bike. And then the worry-free nature of our service they bought into right away. So it was oh, really yeah. sort of, we thought we were going to market to the students, but it was really the parents that latches on. And, That's really cool. And then it just, our store from day one, and we actually had those four hours, 10 till 2, and then our store was open from 2 to 6. By the time we got to the store at 2 p.m. on the first day, it was September 13th. It looked like the Supreme Store in Lafayette, New York on a Thursday when they do a new collab. Like it was lined up down the street. And I mean, the kids were lined up for hours because we just couldn't like... There was four of us in there. We just couldn't, you know. And then we had to teach half of them how to ride a bike because they hadn't ridden a bike
0: for 10 years. <laughs> so first you rent a bike and then you take bike lessons. Yeah.
1: So I mean, yeah. that's another service we should have added on, right? Like bike lessons.
0: So but, this sounds amazing. So how long... I know the way the story ends is going right. to be that you... Shut it down. But how long did you run this thing where it was just up and to the right going really well?
1: Well, so we got basically rid of all 700 bikes in the matter of 10 days. So we had incredible product market fit. You know, if we were to relaunch that service at UC Davis, we could grow that, I think, without working very hard from 700 to 4,000 users. Now, what we learned was it's a Christmas tree business. So they show up sort of, you know, three, four, five days before school starts. And then three, four days into the school year through orientation. They sort of settle into the rhythm. So if they're biking, they're biking, if they're walking, they're walking, if they're taking transit, they're taking transit. So we had this hockey stick up with depleted our fleet of sitting on our bikes. And then demand was equally a hockey stick inverted the other way. Like the demand just went away, literally in a 10, 12 day period.
0: Yeah, it was a cliff.
1: So it's a super seasonal business, right? And then the one thing we always knew was going to get challenged about the business is so they're all leaving right now. So right now, our fleet of 700 bikes, 65, 70 bikes are stolen, so got 630 bikes left. They're coming back right now in Davies at a clip of 60, 70 bikes a day, every day now. So now I got to take those bikes back. I got to service them. I got to store them somewhere. And then I got to have now the operation in September to put 4,000 bikes in that campus in, in right. 10 days. And I think back to another post you had, do you raise VC? Do you sell fund? What are your ambitions? So... We took VC money. So, the analogy I use is like, if I got in the cafe business at this stage in my life, I would want to have six cafes, good cash flow. Maybe it's worth something when I want to sell them at age 65. But in the meantime, you know, I got good cash flow business, pretty easy to manage, and I can live a good life. Yeah. You take VC money, guess what? You cannot, you cannot <laughs> stop at six cafes. They're like, we want 6,000 cafes. How are you yeah. going to get there? So, they thought of what we did at Davis. To have to do that 100, 150, 200 camps across the U.S. I mean, and with some of the challenge we learned once we're in operating the business, and hardware is tough, man. And investors don't like hardware either. They yeah. like software cool. because you get, hey, okay, we love your idea. We think you're going to go to the moon, get your six people together, get some smart engineers, hire some people, you know, India and some developers in Ukraine, and uh, create the software. And then you basically, your distribution is free globally, right? Because all right. you got to do right. is just download just it.
0: Well, yeah. Software and informational businesses and agencies, anything where you're not physically having inventory is a whole different ballgame. And it has its own challenges too. But they're very different challenges. I tried e-commerce for about two weeks. And after two weeks, I was like, this is insane. I got to watch. This thing is coming in from a ship. It's going to dock at LAX. We got to send it to a warehouse in Vegas. Oh my goodness. I can only imagine what you were going through. So... The company's still in business right now, right? So, they,
1: so I didn't want to... you know, When we made the decision four months ago to wind down the business, I didn't want to... I guess we were just to let the students keep the bikes. But we promised them a service, wanted to deliver them a service. It was also around sort of cash flow and how to come out of it sort of in financially reasonably good shape and not lose a bunch of money. So we decided to sort of keep it running until the end of the school year. And then we have... A lot of the students got an offer to purchase their bike. And the ones that returned we sold them to a bike store north of here in Santa Rosa. And then we're buying down the business, yeah. Correct.
0: So you mentioned that you raised 500000 Do you raise any more money?
1: Yeah. So actually, right at launch, we ran out at five hundred grand. Sort of right at the time of launch in September of 21. So we got to save a two fifty from our initial pre-seed investor, freestyle. And then I went back, sort of October 1, I went back, a word document, sort of one page ago, like, we killed it, but, you know, and sort of I want to be transparent and say, hey, so we got rid of all the bikes and it was successful. The students love our service. They love our service. Parents love our service. But also, it's a Christmas tree building. There's going to be some challenges. Hardware's tough. And he literally, you know, after 40 minutes, he sort of nodded and he turned around his Mac and he said, I just sent you this email. It's a term sheet for $2.25 million. Wow. It was basically $6,000 a bike I had rolling around on the streets of Davis, California. And sorry, when was that that was two weeks after launch, and that was in October of last year.
0: And so you had a term sheet for 2500000 dollars Two point two five. million. $2.25. 2.25 million, and Haven't did you, you take that? Or you...
1: So I had to raise 750 to close the round of three on a okay. $15, $16 million post-evaluation. Got it. So Dave Samuel, I mean, this is my understanding, but he invests in a network of 8, 10 other technology investors here in the Bay Area, sort of mid-side funds, $100, million funds. So he'll lead... And really look under the hood and the deals, and they will follow, or they'll lead, and he follows. So he sort of cuts me loose, introduces me to seven eight of the funds. A couple of them pass on the introduction. I get the pitch meeting, which in the pandemic is 30 minutes on Zoom. You send them the deck and a little sort of intro blurb, and then you have 30 minutes to basically pitch them. And got really far with a group called Coruscant of Chicago. We probably had five, six meetings with those guys. They were interested before bowing out. And then after that, it kind of the introduction dried up. And I had never raised money before. I'd never done anything venture before. And there's no cold calling funds. You have to get an introduction, right? So then that sort of dried up. Thank God we had a Slack group of Freestyle. So they have a 125 portfolio companies. So I started reaching out and introducing myself to all 125 founders in the Slack group and getting on a call with them, introducing myself, my business, my challenge, to see if they had any potential investors that they felt could be interesting for Joe Bike. And then they would make those introductions, so it was a massive undertaking, and it was really hard to sort of keep focus on delivering the service and thinking about figuring out the supply chain issues like we were moving our supply chain from China to Mexico to have much better control of shipping and quality, and we wanted to scale the business and get out to ten schools and we had to go to thirty schools to figure out what are the 10 best schools we're going to have the most most likely to the success and but they, the whole raising money became a full-time job and of course, there was a deadline because I needed my next 10,000 bikes by next August when the school year starts. Right. But it's a six-month supply chain period. So I had to March 1 to basically close that round. And the whole time, I had two, four and two five in my hand and I couldn't get... I couldn't even get a check for 100.
0: Yeah. You know, It's the classic scenario of you got yourself onto a hamster wheel of having to raise more and more money. And unless you can raise money, even if things are going really well, unless you can raise that next round, you just hit a wall and there's yeah. no way to get over it.
1: Just to finish the source, I got to sort of close that March 1 deadline when they needed the money. I was basically offered a 2.25. Like Dave really believed in me as a founder. We had product market fit and spade. He believed it was scalable. So he's like, keep going. Come on. You got something special here. And that was a hard decision. But I think because what I'd gone through on trying to raise the money, so I probably had 15, 15 investor calls, but only 15 or 20 was sort of on thesis, on brand with like Funds really focused on mobility, upcycling, sort of cyclery, environment sort of stuff, right? Where the other had been sort of tech investors for which I was never really a fear. And I just thought, okay, great. I take the 2.5 million. It buys me 10, 11 months to burn through that. Then I got to go raise an A. I got to go get a new lead investor and get another four or five investors at a, you know, half a million, million each to sort of raise $6, 7000000 million. And I was just like, not that I can't, just we were early, right? So all these investors had just burned through hundreds of millions, billions of dollars in funding Bird and Lime and Spin and all these these shared scooter services. We had incredible, like my hardware was $110 for a bike. Those scooters were two grand. I mean, they were just burning through money. These hardware-intensive businesses, right? And massive operations. Remember, those scooters in the early days, they had to go pick them up every night, bring them into some warehouse, charge and bring them back out. So this scooter that was electrical and green was picked up every day in a gas-guzzling truck. Like the whole thing was just a racket, right? So I think they were sort of. I got brushed sort of with the same, painted with the same brush, like, oh, we're going to just take a breather from shared mobility. No, no, I'm not shared. I'm reoccurring. Like, come on. I got product market fit. I got 3,000 canvases. I got a team of $7 billion. So I was just fearful that I was going to put all this energy into the business for another year and then be in a situation where I probably wasn't going to be able to raise the money.
0: Yeah. This is the classic story. And it's amazing also that you figured this out early because a lot of companies figure it out when they actually just die a very painful death. You're not right. dying a painful death. You're, no, you're no, kind of, no. This is a very orderly wind down. Yeah. So what do you think is next? Do you, do you think you would do something that's venture-backed in the future? Or do you think you like the bootstrap way to go?
1: So one thing I learned is, I think you need... A, actually out here, they often insist you have a co-founder. They really don't like... Single founders. I think maybe the outcome would is different had I had a co founder to share some of the pain and the learning and ups and downs with. So that's probably the number one learning. Yeah, I think it is a privilege to do that. You put it this sort of like orderly wind down because I've like, it's been a blast, man. It's been super cool. <laughs> I mean, to raise VC money in Silicon Valley and go launch a business and it being very successful and definitely scalable. So the learning and the experience has been phenomenal. So I think like I need to take a bit of a breather and I'm not sure exactly. But yeah, I think for sure there's another I think you know once you're an
0: entrepreneur after thirty years, it's gonna be hard to go and you know <laughs> you are nine you're, to five, right? You're not getting a white-collar job. And then well, one more thing. If you can say, so in the end, are you returning every dollar? Are you gonna lose a little? Are you gonna make a little? No, it's basically gonna wind down to zero. I know that, but are you gonna return any capital or are the investors are just taking a wash on this?
1: No, it's they're just taking a wash.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: I mean, they basically they expect you to fail, Like right? That's their <laughs> that expectation going in, they expect you to fail and they go. You know, It's a one in 20 uh, role, right? So they need one, two, to sort of become solid. And then every five or six of those 100 portfolio companies, they get a unicorn and that's all you need to run a great fund with a 34% return.
0: Yeah. Uh, I was going to say VC is a game where a lot of people, at least in my mentality, if I'm taking money from somebody, like that is a very, very heavy responsibility. You got to return it. You got to make sure that they're made whole and they do well. In the VC game... As you said, out of every 10 investments, two, three, four, five are going to zero. And by the way, you're not getting your money back. It's going to zero. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's just how it goes.
1: And I know Dave Samuel. I mean, you know, he became sort of a bit of a personal friend and like, there's no hard feeling. He's deploying $500 million. And I mean, listen, he needed almost me as much as I needed him. He needed to deploy this money and put it to work. And when I was raising my money, the market was so red hot. I mean, and they were sitting there half a billion dollar funds and they couldn't deploy the money fast enough, right? So the evaluations also got out of whack. You know, I raised money at five and a half posts and then that 2.253 million round was at 16, 17 million dollar post on a company with 700 bicycles generating $100,000 in reoccurring revenue a year. Like, come on. It's just <laughs> mad, right? There were funds he wouldn't send me to because he was worried he's going to lose the deal. All this yeah. money you got to deploy, like I'm going to lose the deal. Like I'm not sending you over to Teresa
0: at... Yeah. A hundred thousand dollar annual recurring revenue and getting valued at a fifteen or sixteen million post. I mean, I can't do the math, but that's gotta be a seventeen hundred percent top line yeah. multiple. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. So what's next for you? You're heading back to Copenhagen? Oh so, yeah, and... actually
1: moving back to Denmark in about three weeks around July first. And just kind of do what I did here. Take my time. And when I made that decision three, four months ago, I gave myself a goal of having two hundred conversations with Danish people mainly that I was just sort of connecting with on LinkedIn. So I try to have a couple of conversations every morning. So now I have a network, I think, of 156 conversations. So a lot of coffee and a lot of beer to be had and some bike rides and mm-hmm. some walks. And, and there's been... I picked up some consulting work that I'm going to do for Danish NGO who's doing some work with Nestle, which is sort of very eco-green around land use, which is... Denmark is probably the most, the greenest sort of... Our biggest export is clean tech. So... Yeah. A lot of the investment in Denmark, it's all around clean tech environment and circular economy. And then, yeah, so just going to sort of go back, network, enjoy the summer. And then Let's
0: see, see what's, what's next.
1: next. See what's next, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. Well, we can do part two then, Jesper. Thank you so yes. much yes. for coming on. This is an awesome story.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me on the pod, John. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening. If you enjoy episodes like this, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, follow me on Twitter at Real John Davids. We'll see you next time.